up everybody welcome back to another edition of the three technique the college football podcast at the intersection of the jimmies and joes and the x's and the o's i'm trey reeves i'm joined by garrett turney mitch mason is not with us tonight but he's here with us in spirit i'm sure enjoying the last remnants of rivalry week the last remnants of the regular season the last remnants of the holiday weekend garrett how are the holidays man how's the first little taste of this magical time of year for you guys Man, well, I got to say, it has been fantastic. I did get a little bit of that flu bug that was going around, so it felt a little bit under the weather, but there's just something about, you know, when you're feeling bad, sitting in front of a TV and watching nine or ten hours in a row of college football, you know, two or three days in a row. That's awesome. It was an awesome time. Obviously, so many great games to break down. Um, but, yeah, I'm super pumped to uh, to get into this and to get this holiday season off on the right foot. How about you? Yeah, yeah this this Black Friday this year especially was just – incredible the i love that the sports programmers know we're all just going to be sitting on our couches in a mm-hmm. turkey coma we got to watch something they, so let's put on these actual meaningful rivalry games yes. to have even if they're not related i don't think any of the ones on friday were necessarily college football playoff implications but right. definitely implications huge implications for the schools involved huge passionate fan bases Florida State, Florida, NC State, North Carolina. They all turned out to be really, really fun games, too. So we right. were blessed with a great sports weekend. I think it's called soccer now with the U.S. national team. Kind of <laughs> will on England, that was a lot of fun, too. We'll we'll, we'll, uh, we'll save that for after the Iran game. But, yeah, just, just a fun <laughs> weekend all around. Love this time of year, and it's just really sad. The only downside is the regular season. This is our regular season finale. We are – done with the regular season we've got conference championships of course next week and then we'll move into bowl season but it went by too fast that's my only complaint my only note is it always just goes by too fast but yeah without much further to do we have a lot to talk about today um while we're thinking about it go on and if you're watching on youtube make sure that you hit the like button hit the subscribe button if you're listening to us on your podcast platform of uh, choice make sure to hit the subscribe button hit the plus button whatever it is and leave us a review as well. Follow us on social media and be sure to write in 3techpod at gmail.com. If you want to talk about how wrong we are, how right we are, how much you love the show, we'd love to hear from you. So, Garrett, without further ado, I'm going to hit the breaking news button for the first time in a while. Here we go. Because as... We move into the holiday season. Of course, it's a joyous time of year for most people. But every year, we have the dark side of it, which is the coaching carousel. And it's super fun to follow. Obviously, we feel bad for everybody that is being victim to the system, victim to the machine of college football. (laughs) But they're going to be paid very handsomely to not be the head coaches at their programs anymore. So we have some news. And over the weekend, if you missed it, it's very easy to have it slip through the cracks. But Nebraska has their guy, 
former Baylor and Carolina Panthers head coach Matt Rule will be taking over in Lincoln. Wisconsin made a huge splash hire just a little bit. It was official a little bit before we started recording today, hiring Cincinnati's Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle finally makes the jump up to the Power 5 level. It was always a question of when, not if, he was going to make that jump, and it's to take over the Wisconsin job. Arizona State goes familiar to the program, hiring Kenny Dillingham. David Shaw, we found out this uh, right after the game Saturday night, is stepping down at Stanford. And then we got a fun, a ton of fun rumors. So we were thinking maybe Hugh Freeze is going to be the guy at Auburn. Apparently, Primetime has interviewed at Colorado. There's just all kinds of fun stuff happening on the coaching carousel. And we do have games to talk about. So I want to keep this a little bit short. But Garrett, my quick question today, who is the better hire on the immediate reaction? Is it Matt Rule going to Nebraska or is it Luke Fickle going up to Wisconsin? I mean, I think for me personally, you have to go Matt Rule here. He, if you guys remember, and it's kind of hard to step back and remember what things were like, but in the immediate aftermath of the scandal at Baylor, obviously with Art Bryles, you know, all the issues that they had there and, and a lot of serious problems with, you know, sort of the law and things like that, they needed somebody to come in and stabilize, right? They needed somebody to come in and say, hey, this has been, you know, a program who before Art Bryles was kind of a doormat of the Big 12 and then going back even into the Southwest Conference wasn't very good either. And now they finally kind of got to this point where they're pretty good, Robert Griffin III, and started playing some good football. And then all of a sudden, it's all swept away. What are they going to do? Well, they got Matt Rule to come in, and he turned them from, I think, a one win into you know competing at the biggest level, uh, you know, and, and had them competing, I think, even for conference championships and things like that. So, I mean, I think this is a great hire for them. Obviously, the NFL didn't work out great for him. But I mean, the NFL didn't work out great for Nick Saban either. I'm, I'm not predicting that Nebraska is the next dynasty, obviously. But to be able to go from the college level to go to the NFL level is a difficult transition for a lot of coaches. So I'm actually really pumped to kind of see where Matt Rule can do. I think for Nebraska, they needed a guy who could just come in and stabilize, right? Things hadn't been going well for a little while. You need a guy who can come in here, do a little bit of recruiting, get the most out of his players, and just kind of be a good face for the program. I think that's exactly who Matt Rule is. Uh, so I'm going to go Matt Rule on this one. What are you thinking? You're absolutely right on Matt Rule. He's a program builder. And Nebraska has been stripped down to the studs. I think it's fair to say that. And that might help Matt Rule get a little bit of a head start because that's what he had to do at Baylor. He inherited a team I think that went six and six the year before he got there but still had a lot of just leftover culture issues from that Art Browse situation and tore it down to the studs went one and 11 and only beat an FCS team in year one and then the next year they were competing for a big 12 title it, it, it's a miraculous how quickly he's able to turn college prog- programs around he did it at Temple as well before he got to Baylor and yeah I think he's a college guy through and through like a lot of college coaches do not do well at the NFL level for just a variety of different reasons. And I think Matt rule is going to be one of those guys and an underrated part of that hire to me is going to be those connections he built in Texas um, for recruiting because Nebraska is not a talent rich state. They're going to have to recruit outside of the boundaries of their state. And one thing that has just been, almost impossible for them since they left the big 12 is keeping those inroads in Texas. They were in the big 12. They had two or three games in the Lone Star state, whether it be Austin college station, Lubbock, just somewhere in Texas every single year. 
And with a fan base that travels and with coaches that were doing the work, they were able to say, hey, come check us out. You know, we have a presence in the state. Your parents can come watch us play two or three times a year. That recruiting just has been non-existent. So I think having those inroads still in Texas will be huge. That might rejuvenate recruiting a little bit for Nebraska. Just to give Luke Pickle some praise, it's not chopped delivery. You know, like that that is an amazing no, hire. I was legitimately shocked when I read that news this morning. I know we were all expecting him to eventually take a Big Ten job. None of the big boys are really looking like, not that Wisconsin's not a big boy, but, you know, when you think about the big three in the East, none of them really seem like they're going to be open anytime soon. So this Wisconsin job is definitely a step up from Cincinnati, definitely a step up in competition. I think he's going to do great there. I, I think the system that he runs, he's done it with, you know, a lesser caliber athlete at Cincinnati for sure. And he's gotten Cincinnati literally to the highest stage in the sport. So not chop liver at all. I think from a sheer, you know, splash value, I think that's a better hire. If you're looking at just the splash factor, I think Wisconsin hiring Luke Fickle is the better hire between those two. If you're looking at resurrecting a program, absolutely. It's Matt. Rule. So yeah. both of these guys are going to have great, uh, they're going to they're gonna have, I think they're going to lead the programs back to greatness. I, I really do. I know we say that a lot in coaching carousel season, but just two really, really solid hires by a couple shadow realm programs that want to kind of restore order to that side of the conference. Yeah. And I was going to say too, with the shadow realm, I mean, these are two programs that obviously the way that this division worked out this year, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of competition across this division uh, going into, you know, this sort of end of the year. And a lot of these teams weren't necessarily very impressive. You know, you get a guy like Luke Ficklin at Wisconsin who clearly knows what he's doing uh, and has gotten a lot out of, you know, maybe not necessarily the most talented players. No offense to the guys that are playing there, but, you know, Cincinnati recruits at a certain level. Um, Wisconsin will be able to recruit at a better level, and I think he'll be able to get even more out of those guys and make them competitive again. You know, we're forgetting this team has been to Indianapolis quite a few times the last five or 10 years. It just kind of took a bad turn this last year or so. So, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do there. Uh, only reason I pick rule here was just because I think he's the better hire for what Nebraska needs. Absolutely. I think Wisconsin yeah. absolutely is going to get a lot out of Luke Fickle, get the splash. Nebraska needs a guy who can come in here and say, I'm going to go slow. I'm going to do it my way. And we're going to bring you back to some form of national prominence. You can't have another coach that's going to go four and eight, five and seven every year for a few years and then, you know, leave you back in the dumpster. You know, you, you can't do that if you're Nebraska. Well, certainly much more to come on the coaching uh, carousel front. We got head coach hires. We've got coordinator hires. We've got all kinds of things to talk about over the next couple of weeks and months. So be on the lookout for that. Stay subscribed. Stay tuned. Um, and we'll have a whole bunch of content on the coaching carousel front uh, over the next few weeks because there's going to be a lot to talk about. Without further ado, Garrett, we had a lot of big games this week, and I think we finally have some clarity on who actually still has a chance to make it to the college football playoff. So let's jump right into that. Let's jump with the biggest story of the week, which was the game, Columbus, Ohio. And for the first time since 2000, the Michigan Wolverines come into uh, the horseshoe just kind of dominate the Ohio State Buckeyes. 45-23 was your final. And there were several moments, Garrett, in the first half where I really thought that Ohio State could have taken control. They were just one or two big plays away from maybe causing Michigan to lose some confidence, but they just never really did. And the game really flipped on its head halfway through the third quarter when Michigan 
who had just taken the lead 24-20. On the first play of a drive, the Buckeyes get hit with holding and unsportsmanlike conduct on the same play. They were just never the same from that point on. They just kind of went into a shell. Michigan took advantage, and that was all she wrote. They they had a couple of uh, big plays. Donovan Edwards had an absolute monster day with 216 yards and two touchdowns with Blake Corum unable to go. And no shade to the kid. J.J. McCarthy, I think I would describe it as not pretty but effective, right? Like he, he hit some big plays, and obviously anytime you can hit the big plays, you're going to be happy about that. I think there were a couple, especially in the first half before he kind of got his feet under him that I was a little like, okay, like that worked, but it might not work the whole day. But listen, when you win 45-23, there's not much you can complain about, right? No, certainly not. And I want to go ahead and say this is just kind of what Michigan does. And this is why I picked them to win this game. I thought that it was going to be, you know, a good win for them. I didn't think it would be nearly this decisive just for the sheer fact that they're playing a very good Ohio State team on the road. I thought that Ohio State was going to come out and look a lot more competitive than they did. It turns out, man, there were some real issues to that, you know, drive that you were talking about with the holding in the unsportsmanlike. That made it first and 35. They yep. were able to get it back to fourth and six. And you could see CJ Stroud wanted to go for it. He wanted to go for it and, and keep the pressure on. Instead, they get pulled. They punt. I think they ended up punting that one through the end zone anyways. Um, and, and just a really rough turn of events to watch, you know, people go ahead and turn that around and, and score again. Um Man, uh, you know, I, I was texting with Teddy, who we did the uh, special episode with during the game. And I said, you know, I've got some bad news. It doesn't look like Blake Corum's going to win the Heisen, but I do have some good news. <laughs> and we, we talked about how the good news was, you know, man, it looked like, you know, Michigan was really putting it on him. I mean, Donovan Edwards, 22 carries, 216 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, I mean, both of those touchdowns came on very, very long rushes. But this is just what Michigan does. They sit there, they wear you down. They play well on defense, and then just through the game, you can't. If you can't stay perfect on defense every rep, they're going to take advantage of that towards the end of the game. the The two touchdown runs, I think it was like seventy five and eighty five or something like that. Those were the two longest runs by Michigan against Ohio State ever. Wow, they, yeah. he set the record twice in the same game, and you know there, there's a lot that has to go into a big upset like this. I think setting two records like that is pretty big. Uh, Mike Sane. Reese Ristel, I can't remember how you say his name. He was number zero on the defense. He broke up two huge passes in the end zone that could have been touchdowns for Ohio State. Um, he, he played a heck of a game, including that one where the tight end, it looked like he came down with it. He just poked it out of the last second, did everything that your cornerback coach wants you to do as a defender. So, you know, extremely good effort by the Wolverines. Um, flip side for Ohio State, I thought that they had some issues moving the ball off schedule. This is what I had been saying for a little while. I thought that it was a little bit concerning that when things didn't go right throughout this year, they had issues on offense. You know, I, we talked about the Penn State game. I still think maybe even with that Northwestern game, I think it was a little bit telling that, yes, the weather was bad, but they couldn't run the football. They couldn't find ways to manufacture offense on a day where the wind was blowing like crazy. You know, I just I don't think that we paid enough attention to it going into this game. And so that's why the shock was there, right? C.J. Stroud, he's a heck of a guy, heck of an athlete. He's going to make someone extremely happy when he goes off to the NFL. It just seems like, man, there's something about the way he was coached or something about his game at this point in his development where if you can rattle him, if you can kind of get the pressure into him, and, and if you can maybe get him to start fleeing the pocket, he really has trouble picking up some of those first downs and, and figuring out where his read is. So 
Those are some of my concerns. He still played well, all things considered, but definitely not good enough to win this game. I think that this just proves that Michigan is currently the best team in the country. I don't think that that's super controversial. I didn't necessarily believe it going into the game, but Michigan is currently the best team in the country. They just dominated number two on the road, a team that people are still arguing deserve a playoff spot. If we're going to argue that they still deserve a playoff spot, then if you can go to their house and beat them by 20 plus, I would argue you're probably the best team in the country. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the other teams in this later, but in terms of just sheer weaknesses, I don't see them with Michigan. You, you talked about J.J. McCarthy. This will be kind of my last little thing here. J.J. McCarthy kept them in this game in the first half. Absolutely. They, they did not run yeah. the ball at all in the first half to finish with as many rushing they yards as they had. They the rushing yard stats, and it was deep in the second quarter. They had like one rushing yard. Yeah, I think they might have finished with either single digits or very low double digits for the half. Yeah. Like I remember going into it and they say, whoever wins the rushing battle wins the game. And currently Michigan has like 13 or something like that. JJ, he kept them in the game. He kept coming up with huge throws. Um, you know, the the I, I can't remember the receiver's name at the moment, but there's that one guy who broke a tackle and rattled off for the first one, got loose towards the end of it, um, and got loose on a post route to score the second one. He he was incredible, but JJ kept them in this thing when, you know, the run game wasn't there. So, you know, we've talked about finding multiple ways to beat teams. Well, they beat you just about every way they could on Saturday. At first they started beating you by passing the ball, staying in it. Then they beat you on defense. Then they beat you in the run game. This is a very, very good Michigan team. I think they have to be your odds on favorite to win the whole thing this year, just based on where their team is at this moment. Yeah. Cornelius Johnson, I think is who you're yeah, talking about. Johnson, yeah. Four receptions, 160 yards and those two first half touchdowns that were both bombs. Uh, yeah. Color me shocked that Ohio State just wasn't up to the task of going toe to toe with Michigan. And this is the second year in a row. And I think this is, if you're looking for, maybe it's a little too early to call it a fatal flaw, but a possible fatal flaw for Ryan Day at Ohio State, I don't know that his teams necessarily have the intensity or aggression to go to go to go toe to toe with a team that's just going to come punch him in the mouth. We saw that in the first game of the year against Notre Dame and Notre Dame kind of came out and punched him in the mouth defensively. And Ohio state was able to win that game against, I think a less talented Notre Dame team than what they faced in Michigan. But, you know, you walk away from that kind of impressed that they were able to win an ugly game, but also, you know, you see that Notre Dame was able to take the game to Ohio state. And that's exactly what Michigan did. Uh, I don't want to spend our whole episode on this, this, this game, but, it was a huge, huge indicator. I don't know if you, you can draw too many parallels for the future of this division or the future, but I think a lot of Ohio State fans are now starting to question that this has happened two years in a row against Michigan. You know, are they built? Is Michigan better built to beat Ohio State than Ohio State is Michigan? And I think right now you have to say Michigan is built better to beat Ohio State because after they went up 20 to 17, this is Ohio State's possessions. Punt, end of half. Punt, 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 field goal, interception, interception. Like wow, so so three points in the second half. Three points after get after going up twenty to seventeen with about four minutes left in the second quarter. Wow. So it, it, they Michigan just took the game to them in the second half. They made better adjustments. Ohio State faced some adversity and just could not battle back from it. And it was not something you expect to see from a team as talented as Ohio State. And what my concern about them is right now is 
they have all the flash, right? They have the skill position players. They have the quarterback. They have all the pieces you need to be successful, but they don't necessarily have the physicality to go toe-to-toe with a team that wants to bully them. And it's been them two years in a row now. Yeah, and I think that this defensive unit was more equipped for it. Obviously, the score got run up towards the end because, like I said, that's just what Michigan does to you. And Michigan um, was looking to run up the score as well. They, right, they, they, they were, they were absolutely be satisfied with getting out of there with a three-point win. They smelled blood in the water, and they were going to go score. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the problem is, offensively, I think there's a lot more there. You know, and and 45 points, that's not a great number, obviously. But, man, like, if you're Ohio State putting up 23, there just wasn't, like you were saying, there wasn't a physicality there. There wasn't that streak of, you know, on the offensive line, we're going to maintain what we want to do. We're going to we're gonna get that push up front. We're going to, I don't know, get the pass rush that we need or the, the pass protection that we need just to keep you on, you know, on your end of the field and keep the guys off our quarterback and give them time to throw. There wasn't any of that tenacity. And I think that that's just kind of what was missing from them towards the end of this game, especially they, they, they came out just fine, but you know, like we we're saying, they get hit in the mouth. How do they respond? There's just something missing there. And I think part of it's just the fact that they don't really face a lot of challenges through the year that they, they don't. And, and that's, you can't affect who you play, but you know, they don't face too many challenges during the year. And I don't think that they even really believed that they were really in any danger to lose to Michigan again. I think there was a little bit of that attitude of like, yeah, they got us last year, but it was snowing and it was at Michigan. We'll get them back this year. And I just don't think they believe they could lose that game. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're losing that game and, you know, time's ticking out and there goes Donovan Edwards again, you know, and you're like, oh, well, I guess we're going to lose this game. And so, you know, I, I think this is a little bit of a wake up call for Ohio State that right now they're not the big boys in the Big Ten. No, they Michigan. are not. Michigan no, runs your not. conference right now. For two years in a row, Michigan, you know, they've run your conference. They've lost one game to uh, Michigan State the last couple of years in conference. That This is their conference right now. They can do whatever they want to do in it, and, and that's not what you're doing right now. Ohio State, two non-competitive games against Michigan the last couple of years. And to make it worse, the year before that, they ducked them because of the COVID year. So it's been since, what, 2019 since they've beaten Michigan it's it, yeah, it's now it's, it's now been a little while, while since yeah, <laughs> it's it's been a little while since they've been able to play them. So, um, you know, I just I think that this is awesome for Michigan. Absolutely. Michigan fans should be enjoying this. But if you're Ohio State, you have to acknowledge that, yeah, maybe you guys aren't the Kings right now and y'all got to do some real work to figure out how to get back on top. Yeah. Credit to Michigan for and credit to Jim Harbaugh, really, yeah, for, just for sure. resurrecting the perception of that program. We could say so much more about this game, but. Let's go ahead and keep moving. Uh, we do have a lot more to get to. Let's go out to the West Coast. The battle for the jeweled shillelagh. And I Ooh. rushed through that second word because I'm sure I mispronounced it. <laughs> but USC and Notre Dame. USC, number six, going into this game in the college football playoff rankings. Holds off number 15, Notre Dame, 38-27. to 27. Just kind of more the same for what USC has been able to do this year. They kind of kept the Irish at arm's length. The entire game, really. They go go up 17-7 to right before the half, and the Irish never got back within single digits after that. The offense was efficient. Uh, Caleb Williams was 18 for 22 uh, for 232 yards and a touchdown. So not gaudy numbers other than the completion percentage, but just got the job done. And the defense wasn't perfect. They, they definitely gave up some yards through the air when uh, Notre Dame committed to throwing the ball. But they really made plays when they needed to. Like we talked about last week against UCLA, Two takeaways, another turnover on downs, and they held Notre Dame to just 90 yards on the ground. So 
Huge win for USC. This was a big test for them, and they passed it with flying colors in my mind. Yeah, better job by their defense than I expected to think. You know, maybe not necessarily in the in the points scored department, but definitely, you know, holding them to 90 rushing yards when that's what they wanted to do coming in, you know, have to go hats off to them. The offense was good. There wasn't really anything wrong with the offense. Um, they didn't necessarily put them away, and I am a little bit concerned from the passing standpoint, right? Caleb Williams, like you said, solid, but definitely not special. I think if he wants to seal the playoff spot for the Trojans, they're going to have to be a lot better next week against Utah, of all teams, to make it to the Pac-12 championship after all that chaos went down. I still don't think he's had his Heisman moment, but I think he's the front runner by default. I think yeah. he's just kind of the guy who's been playing the best, and he's been a lot better. But, you know, man, he goes up against a good defense like Notre Dame. Well, there's some better defenses out there, namely Georgia and Michigan right now are playing much better defense than Notre Dame is. What happens when they get in that position for a playoff? Heck, I mean, TCU plays pretty good opportune defense as well. So, you know, what happens when they get in there and get the sack at the right moment, the interception at the right moment? So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned from a passing standpoint, but they still were able to put up 38 points, right? I want to put this in context. They put up 38 points on a very good Notre Dame team and, you know, they didn't put them away but they definitely didn't have this game in any sort of question for the majority of the game. There wasn't really a question who's going to win this one. It was really fun for about 15 minutes. And then after that point, they just kind of run up the score a little bit and, you know, keep it at arm's length, like you were saying. And then that, that was pretty much the whole game. So I definitely think at this point that they should be the number four team, especially with Ohio state and with um, LSU dropping a game. But, you know, I, I think that they should have been number 14 for a little while now. Um, but I, I think that they deserve to be at that spot. Uh, and I think that regardless of what happens next week, I still think they'll be a little bit more deserving just based on their resume than some of these other teams that we'll talk about. We'll save that for a future episode. But I was fairly impressed with their performance, though I would like to see a little bit more in the past game. Yeah, and I'll defend him just a little because 18 for 22 is, you know, you're getting what you want. No, definitely efficient, yeah. So, you know, if he was inaccurate in that and taking, you know, 18 for 36 or something like that, then I'd be sure. a little bit more concerned. They were getting whatever they wanted on the ground. Their offensive right. line was moving guys left and right. And Caleb Williams, a third of his carries went for touchdowns as well. He was their goal line running back. So yeah. three touchdowns on the ground for him. So, yeah, I agree. He He hasn't really had that Heisman moment yet, but I think – I haven't checked the betting odds today, but I'm pretty sure he's your odds on favorite to win the Heisman as long as he avoids disaster next week against Utah. So. For sure. And I think we also need to give a lot of credit to this Trojan ground game. They're doing a really good job. I think their offensive line is a Joe Moore finalist or, or semifinalist. I don't yes, know where we are we're at this yeah. point. They should win the award. Uh, for I think he's first-year coach there, Josh Henson, doing a really good job with that Trojan offensive line. Um, he, he had a pretty good unit at A&M before he had you know moved over. Uh, but doing a really good job and giving their running backs lots of opportunities to to do what they want to. We talked about how obviously their prime back went out, but you know number two came in last week against UCLA. He did what he wanted to do as well. So really, really good job from that offensive line unit and from the running backs for getting what they need to on the ground. And you know, hey, when Caleb Williams doesn't put up you know shining numbers all the times, you can still win games comfortably. Yeah. True next man up mentality for that running back room. It's sure. been really, really encouraging for USC fans, I'm sure. All right, let's get to the upset portion of our college football playoff contenders. And let's go to the one college station where I'm sure everyone had this one down, including every AM fan. Texas AM, 38, number five LSU, 
23. And I mean, sure, right? <laughs> like AM comes into this one with absolutely <laughs> nothing to play for but pride. They're sitting there at four and seven, already eliminated from bowl eligibility, obviously. And LSU has legit playoff hopes if they can just get by AM and, you know, somehow knock off Georgia next week in Atlanta. And AM just kind of dominates the Tigers for most of the game. Like the score is, they win by 15. And it felt at points in the second half that it should have been even more than that. They just had, the Tigers had no answer. For Devon A. Chain. Connor Wegman was, you know, pretty good. He was efficient through the air, didn't turn the ball over, made some really nice throws, especially in the red zone. But really, it was just Devon A. Chain. LSU could not stop him. 38 carries for 215 yards and two That's a whole bunch. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty crazy. This is kind of the AM team we expected to see this season. So naturally, we have to wait till next September to see what they can actually do. Um, you know, just when they figure it out, you know, we're going to get to see it next year. Man, it was crazy. The, the Tigers came in with real need to impress people, right? They really needed to impress the playoff committee to show that even with two losses and possibly a third to Georgia, you know, but what if TCU slips up? And, you know, what if, you know, Michigan or Ohio State, they're just not quite. And instead, you know, what do they do? They, they come out, they weren't focused. I don't think that they really took this game seriously. I don't think they had a good week of practice, probably, because when you're that level of team and you practice that well, you come out and you do really well against you know teams that let's face it are inferior. Instead, they come out here and they lay this. You know, A chain was phenomenal. That's an all time performance from a running back. Musin Muhammad was sensational as well. He pulled in a one handed catch in the for a touchdown that, that looked awesome. like it was perfect placement. And he just kind of had him at arm's length and reached up and snagged it no problem. He also had a ball where he just kind of wrestled it away from a guy that it was a slightly underthrown ball on a go route. He just kind of wrestled it away from him and you know, said, nope, that's mine, get mossed. He's going to be huge if they can keep him in the boat, obviously, going into next year. I think that gives them a true number one wide receiver to to be able to go out there and say, that's the guy I'm going to try to feed the ball to. Um, and, and, you know, this should go a long way, you know, kind of like what I was saying, to keeping the Aggie roster together through this offseason. Obviously, with this much adversity, you're going to see some turnover, both in the coaching staff and on the roster. But for any of those guys who are maybe just wanting a little bit more of that positive taste in their mouth to, to go into this offseason with, to you know to say, hey, you know why should I stick around? Hey, this didn't work out. I think this was a big night for a lot of those players who just needed to see that, yeah, like when we put it all together, we can do something like this. We can put together what I think is probably the best win of the Jimbo Fisher era, just given quality of opponent and the, the way that they beat them. They beat LSU soundly. You know, some of those big wins that they had had over Bama and Florida in the past, those wins came, you know, in, in tight games, right? You know, 41 to 38, I think. And so, you know, this was a sound victory, huge win for Jimbo and his program to go into the offseason with just a little bit more hope, maybe going into next year and, and not feeling like the sky is falling on the LSU side. I was always kind of confused why the college football playoff had them ranked so highly. I didn't think that they deserved to be in contention for a playoff spot. But they were, and they got exposed. They just flat out got exposed. They couldn't do anything offensively outside of you know some some brief moments of success running the ball. Um, you know, obviously Daniels had a great night scrambling, but really didn't get much going in the past game. You know, fact of the matter is the SEC West has just kind of been down this year. Obviously, you know, with Bama having a couple losses, LSU with a couple losses, they'll go to Atlanta, but they're a flawed team. And so are several of the other teams in the SEC West this year. 
they don't deserve to be in the conversation and they're not anymore. And by the way, Bama doesn't deserve to be in this conversation either. We'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. We'll but Bama for sure. <laughs> does not deserve to be in the playoff after that. I think Georgia is the better team. They'll beat them pretty soundly next week. And we'll, we'll see what happens from there. But I, I think LSU got a little bit exposed and maybe they'll take a, they'll take all 12 games of their schedule seriously next time. It'll be fascinating to see how LSU responds because I could see them going into Atlanta and just really not wanting to be there next week. Sure. And we'll, we'll save that for the preview show because I think there's a lot of situations like that in conference championship week next week. But yeah, I mean, LSU was a flawed team all year. They were a flawed team that kept winning and that's why they were ranked so high. They, they got the big win against Alabama. They, had beaten everybody else in the SEC West up to that point. And one of their losses was on the first game of the season on kind of a fluke blocked extra point. Right? Sure. So still a successful year one for Brian Kelly. I, I don't think yeah, you, absolutely. You, can get, you can take that away from him. I think they far exceeded. I know they far exceeded my expectations winning the SEC West. Same here. Down yep. here. But yeah, just really crazy situation where A&M again, the team comes out and punches them in the mouth. I think they expected A&M to kind of roll over and they weren't ready. Here's the key stat for the Aggies, and I totally agree that they're going to go into the offseason with a lot more confidence now. Um, they, they flipped the script on the third down woes that they've had all year. So all year long, AM has just been atrocious. Um, getting off the field on third down on defense and keeping drives alive on third down on offense. And it was the exact opposite this uh, last night. So 10 of 15 on third down on offense. Connor Wegman made some big plays with his arm and his legs. Devon A-Chain was amazing like we talked about and on defense they allowed just four of 11 on third down and i know uh, i was gonna look this up as well yeah they didn't allow a fourth down conversion so yeah. lsu was either too far away to go for it and the one time they did i think that was uh at the very end of the game i think so yeah happened. i had to do it moment yeah yeah so great win for jimbo fisher definitely keeps a less bitter taste in his mouth but he's still got a lot of work to do to get that aggie program back on track for sure. And to the third down point, the Aggies going into the game were 32% offensively on converting third downs. That should tell you a lot about why this team was so bad this year, but also to be able to flip it and go 10 of 15. Now that's, that's 67%. That's a huge improvement in just one game. So I think this kind of shows what they could have been if they were able to kind of put the pieces together. Now, maybe they just figured out which guys need to go in which roles you know, and obviously, if they can, you know, find a way to pull a chain back for one more year, that would be huge for them. I wouldn't necessarily count on that. I think that his stock is super, super high, and I think that he'll be able to go and get, you know, drafted pretty early. But you know, all that to say, if they can find a way, maybe through NIL, to get him to come back for another year, I think this could be a very good team going into next season. Let's go over to South Carolina, where in the Palmetto Bowl we had another set of very sad Tigers and. I'm not sure how many watched this game with OSU Michigan being on at the same time, but if you did watch this one, if you're flipping back and forth, you were treated to an absolutely fantastic game. It started out very poorly for the Gamecocks, who fell behind 14 to nothing, but Spencer Rattler, to his credit, after a very poor start, turned things around and just absolutely... I, I, I wrote that he outplayed DJU. That is the understatement of the century. Because yeah. in the second half, it, it was just like... A varsity versus JV scrimmage to me watching the two quarterbacks go back and forth so Clemson had a nice start it looked like they were going to kind of be in control over their rivals like they have been for most of this past decade they're up 23 to 14 at the half had a 91.8 
50% win probability per ESPN. And then this is what their offense did in the second half. Punt, punt, touchdown, punt, punt, interception, punt, and then muffed a punt that was punted to them that would have given them the ball back with about two minutes left to get into field goal range. So just a really poor performance from a, a Clemson team that had albeit slim, but definitely tangible college football playoff hopes if the avenue opened. Rattler stepped up when he needed to. DJU, 8 for 29 for 99 yards and a touchdown and an interception. And to me, I have to think we might have seen the last of him in a Clemson uniform. Yeah, I mean, there's a really good chance that he's done there. I don't think necessarily the type to want to transfer out. But definitely, I think that at this point, I just mean I think he's going to lose a spot in these last. No, yeah, no, I mean definitely, probably going to lose his spot. And if he loses his spot, he would transfer. I'm saying I don't think he's the type to quit on the team, right? I I wouldn't necessarily pick him to be the guy who say, "Oh, you know what? Things didn't go well. I'm kind of losing now. I didn't play very well. I'm out of here," right? But I do think at a certain point, it'll get communicated that yeah, this is Cade Klubnik's team, and you know you should probably look at your options because I I think we're going to go a different direction. So, you know, I, I. I feel for him, but I mean, you got to play better. This was a 40 game home winning streak ended by your in-state rival. They hadn't lost at home in freaking forever. I mean, it's been yeah. so long since they lost at home and South Carolina is the team to break it. Not, you know, Oh, we thought Miami would be good at the beginning of the season or, Oh, UNC comes NC in there State, with a bunch of time. Yeah. Nope. It was your in-state rival, South Carolina Gamecocks. They go in there Oh, that must just suck if you're a Tiger fan just to to lose that streak and in just the worst way to blow a lead like that. Yeah, not great. Great job, though, by Shane Beamer in South Carolina for turning things around after being one of the worst programs in the SEC even just two years ago. Very excited to see their future, their development, see if they can kind of jump up with Tennessee and Georgia next year to compete for a spot in Atlanta going forward. Obviously going to have some holes to fill, going to have some you know, players to figure out where they go, got to finish recruiting, maybe got to go raid the, the transfer portal again. But if they can figure that part of it out, get a better roster together for next year, I think they have a really good chance of being extremely competitive. And we might be seeing the SEC East become the premier division in that conference, you yep. know, as, as we're about to lose conferences and divisions and figure out what that looks like, if it's all just one team or whatever else. But you're, it's the right time to be one of those SEC East teams because, man, things are really turning around for them. I totally agree. And, you know, I, I we've talked a lot about some unlikable coaches. To me, Shane Beamer is very likable. I, I, I love what he's doing over there. Um, I know there was some friction in the middle of the season. They went through a little bit of a rough patch there. But, you know, the surprise bowl berth in year one, eight and four in year two, he's absolutely building something special in Columbia. I, I don't know that Spencer Rattler is the quarterback to get them over the hump. He's definitely shown flashes, especially in these last two games against Tennessee and Clemson. But, yeah, I, I am really, really excited to see what they keep building at Shane yeah. Beamer. I hope he sticks around for a while. You know, I, I think he Carolina, will. He, he, he's definitely a native to that area. He knows that area. I think he feels valued by that program, so I don't know why he would leave, but I hope he sticks around a while, doesn't use it as a stepping stone. Not saying that he would in any means, but, you know, the right the right suitor comes calling. You never know. You never but, know. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think the East was definitely – I think you could say the East was the better division this year, top to bottom. I oh, think for sure. It, it, it'd be interesting to play that out, but I think on paper the East was the better division. Speaking of the East, let's go really quickly. But uh, Our other top four teams coming into this week, Georgia and TCU, absolutely handled business. Georgia was down 7-3, to three, I think, at the end of the first quarter, but 
After that, I think they scored 34 unanswered before Georgia Tech finally tacked on a garbage time touchdown. Georgia wins good, clean, old-fashioned hate 37-14. to TCU not playing a rivalry game, but welcomed the Iowa State Cyclones, who until Saturday had a very scary defense. Uh, TCU <laughs> showed no problems with that, 62-14 to over the Cyclones, who are just really, really happy to see this uh, year come to an end. Garrett, any quick thoughts on either of those games? I was dominating performances by both of them. Yeah, in terms of Georgia, man, just I, I said that they'd probably win by about 20 and just kind of ease off of it. Kind of got that one right. Um, definitely didn't cover that. I, it was a massive spread. I just kind of thought Georgia Tech would be a little too competitive for them in that. Obviously not competitive enough to stay in the game, but decent end of the year for Georgia Tech, and we'll see where Georgia goes from here. We'll see if this offensive output is maybe more of a sign that things fixed, or maybe we'll see that this was just what happens when you play Georgia Tech. In terms of TCU, man, talk about a purple team who needed to impress the playoff committee. You know, LSU, for what they didn't do against AM, TCU did and more against Iowa State. This is an Iowa State defense that I think ranked in the top 10 in scoring. And they came out of this game giving up 62. Now, not all of those were offensive points given up. You have to consider the fact that in the first quarter and I believe in the in the third quarter, they had two pick sixes. Um, and so, you know, the, and the first one, I got to watch that one in person before it just became a route and I turned it off because you know, I don't believe in watching stuff like that. But um, no, man, the, the first one was just a throw straight to him. And it was one of those, you know, mad dashes towards the end zone. Everyone's converging on the sideline and it was just sheer will. And so it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Not necessarily any massive stat numbers for anybody. Uh, Max Duggan, you know, he completes 70 percent of his passes, three touchdowns, two twelve passing through the air. Um, you know, you had, if you look at your your rushing numbers down here, Kendra Miller had 72 rushing, Imani Bailey had 58 rushing. So not necessarily any big numbers, but I think everyone kind of got in on the scoring and they kind of shared the love a little bit there. So, you know, great job by this TCU team proving that they definitely deserve to be in this playoff contention. And they absolutely got things on the right foot going into next week's Big 12 title game. So pump for both of these teams still a little bit maybe more to see with Georgia but definitely excited to watch some of these teams that are gonna make it into the playoff play well towards the end of the season TCU Kansas State is definitely the conference championship game I'm most excited to watch next week maybe USC Utah as well but I think TCU Kansas State is at the top of my must watch list next week and yeah these frogs are just something special man I I really thought I took Iowa State plus 10 in that one because it's just what both teams had done all year. Iowa State had lost close games. TCU had won by about 10 points. So looking at the statistics and, you know, there's lies, there's damn lies, and there's statistics, right? Yep. And uh, TCU blew that out of the water. Just very, very impressive to me. Probably the most impressive performance. Maybe short of this next team that we're going to talk about. So we have to have this discussion because it's all that the national media seems to want to talk about <sighs> after rivalry. Got to have an Alabama discussion, Garrett, because as they throttle their in-state rival in the Iron Bowl, beat Auburn 49-27, to all of a sudden, at least according to the national narrative, the door is seemingly cracked open for them to get into the playoff at 10-2 and if there's a couple of conference championship upsets. So obviously they're not going to be ranked in the top four this week. I think it's very clear that the top four is going to be some combination of Michigan and Georgia at the top, followed by TCU and USC. That's very, very clear. But if two of those teams slip up, 
Is there a possibility that Alabama gets in in your mind? Is there a possibility? Yeah, there's obviously a possibility because what this committee's shown is they're willing to to put Bama in when they don't deserve it. And I'll go ahead and say it. They don't deserve it. They beat Auburn 49-27. Just a reminder, Auburn played well on the back part of the season, but they don't have a real head coach. They're a bad team this year, right? They played well for Cadillac Williams. They, they definitely had a lot of energy, but you go on the road to Tuscaloosa, you you know lose a game at that level. That's just what's going to happen when you have a much better coach on the other side. And to be clear, Nick Saban is still one of the best coaches in college football. That being said, they're 10 and two. They, they maybe shouldn't even be where they are because their two is worse than Tennessee's two and worse than LSU's two right now. And those are the two teams that did beat them. So I don't even know if they're in the right pecking order in terms of sec teams. Now, obviously LSU, they picked up their loss against A&M, but we're going to pretend that Tennessee didn't finish and beat them. So, man, I don't know. I just I don't see how Alabama should get in. And and I'm not trying to you know be that guy, but if anyone's going to get in that doesn't play for a conference championship, wouldn't it be Ohio State? Because their only loss would be to then either number one or number two Michigan. I think it should be number one, but that that's also kind of part of Bama's problem. So Bama's problem is if you're Ohio State, you can make the case that, well, it's not necessarily what you did when you played them. It's who they ended up as. The issue there is, you know, Alabama kind of has to go both ways because they don't want to say it was Tennessee when they played them or LSU towards the end of the season. They can't really pick and choose and have it both ways. I, I just don't see why Alabama deserves it. I see why they might get in because they're Alabama, right? They come with the name brand. They're supposed to be in the playoffs, but I still think I would take a two loss appeared in a conference championship game, USC or a one loss TCU who made it to their conference championship game before I would take Alabama. Now, when I mix up the seating, sure. I'd put TCU at four in that case, but I still think I'd let either of them in before Alabama. And so we're going to see if they're going to break their little two loss rule to get Bama. in. I don't think that they should. Um, and, and if Alabama does get in, I totally get why people complain about SEC bias. That is the biggest case of SEC bias I will have ever seen if Alabama makes it in after just kind of a ho-hum into the year. You know, it's they, they play well. They're Alabama. Congratulations. You know, you went 10-2. and two. That's good. Go play in the Sugar Bowl or something. I don't know. And so, you know, it's it, it'll be really interesting to see what the committee wants to do. I don't think they deserve a spot. I'm with you. I don't think any of the two lost teams or potential two lost teams, if you consider USC would deserve a spot. I personally, I don't think Alabama has a path. I, I, I think it's going to be some combination of the current top five. I think you'll see the top five on Tuesday night be Michigan, Georgia, TCU, USC, and Ohio state. Maybe yeah, not necessarily right. in that order. I think the, the first four will be in the top four in some order. Ohio State will be number five, and everybody's going to lose their minds when Alabama comes in at number six, yep. which is going to happen. It's and gonna everybody's going to lose their mind and talk about how how does Alabama have a path to the playoff? They don't. It, it, it's the top five, and USC. If there's multiple losses in the top four, USC is going to be the odd one out. Um, I I personally think because of everything that's happened, Georgia, Michigan, and TCU are all safe this week. Regardless, I think so. Yeah, I think TCU is safe. I, I I think going twelve and zero in the regular season, playing against a team that they've already beaten, I think they won't necessarily have, you know, 
anything held against them. Now, if they're the only one that loses, then they're leaving it up to chance a little bit. And Ohio mm-hmm. State could sneak in and take that four spot. But personally, Michigan and Georgia are 100% safe. I'd put TCU at about 80 to 90% safe. And then we're just looking at, does USC take care of Utah? And if USC and TCU both lose, I think TCU goes in at four or goes in at four and Ohio State jumps up to three, personally. But it's semantics at this point. The bottom line, when we're talking about Alabama, I don't think they have a path. If they were somehow to sneak in, or even with just the possibility of people talking about them getting in in this season, for you personally, does that give you more or less reason for a 12-team playoff? Personally, that gives me more reason, because if you're just going to put Alabama in, then just go to 12 and give the teams that actually deserve it a shot, too. Because let, let's face it, Bama coming with the name brand, they're going to be in that top 12 probably every single year until Nick Saban retires or falls over coaching a game. Too I wouldn't wish that on him. They're too they're talented, talented to not. Talented not. Yeah. And, you know, even on years where they've lost these two and you would consider putting in like a Tennessee or a LSU ahead of them, they still probably squeak in at 11 or 12, right? It, you have a really hard time convincing me that there are 12 teams better than Alabama every single year. That being said, if you're just going to put them in and you're just going to let them inflate the ranking and do that, then go ahead and give these other teams that deserve it a shot. Give the USC who might lose next week or even the Utah who made it to their conference championship game and are playing a lot better in the last part of the year. They, I mean, just throttled Colorado, which I know it's Colorado, but they throttled them. You know, give some of these teams that are, are playing better towards the end of the year that maybe have a better resume. Maybe they're just their resume doesn't look as good because they didn't beat teams that are called, you know, Ole Miss or A&M or LSU, right? That doesn't necessarily mean as much if you look at just the numbers, right? TCU... You know, as of a couple of weeks ago, they had the hardest strength of record. I don't know if that's still true for them, but as of a couple of weeks ago, had the hardest strength of record, and we were acting like their schedule was weak. I mean, that that's pathetic, right? That's that's terrible that we wouldn't actually look at the numbers, look at how the teams play on a year-to-year basis, and then say, oh, well, this year maybe the Big 12 is playing slightly better football than the SEC West. Or, hey, maybe this year, you know, if you're the champion of, you know, the, the Big 10, then you deserve to be the number one seed instead of Georgia because, you know, what was the SEC this year? And so I think that there is a little bit of that SEC bias going on right now. And I think that, you know, it's hard to say as a fan of an SEC team because we obviously watch what happens on a week-in, week-out basis. But there's good football being played across this country, and we have to acknowledge it when that's happening. And when the other teams, especially under NIL, are playing a lot better with better talent and better players of those programs. So... I just don't see how Bama has a real path. And if they do end up getting in for some reason, ooh, I want whoever they get in against to just beat the tar out of them in the first round. I, I totally agree. And Bama even being considered as a possibility this year makes me just point to the need for a 12-team playoff. Because Absolutely. if you're going to let them in anyways in a four-team playoff, or if there's even a remote possibility, make them go on the road. Like make it make them yeah. face off against the team because they wouldn't be in the top four if they wouldn't get a bye and it's in the proposed twelve team system. Sure, they would at the very least have to host a top twelve team and probably go on the road to a top twelve team. So expand this thing. Teams every year, teams five through twelve are really pretty interchangeable, and one of them could get hot at the right time. I know that people don't like hearing that. I know there's a staunch defense and probably people that want to go back to the original bowl system where we didn't even have a true national championship game. But 
to me, years like this show you that you need a 12-team playoff. And next week is going to show you why you would want a 12-team playoff because there's going to be one, maybe two games that actually matter next week. Yeah. And if USC loses on Friday night, all of a sudden there are no games that matter on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Like other than Tulane and Cincinnati or Tulane and UCF fighting for who goes to the Cotton Bowl, there are no games that matter because it doesn't matter if all four or all three of the other top three lose, they're not falling out of the playoff. Like no. they're they're not falling out of the playoff picture. So we need a twelve team playoff that would instantly give meaning to every game this Saturday instead of one, maybe two. So No, absolutely. I digress. That's a debate for another time. Alabama better <laughs> not show up in the top four. They will be number six on Tuesday, but don't freak out. I really don't think that they have a path. No, for sure. Let's go back to what makes college football fun. We had some really, really fun rivalry games this week that I want to spend some time talking about because we don't want to just be a college football playoff show. We want to celebrate all things college football. And Let's start with the, I think we're calling it the Platypus Cup, the Civil Conflict, whatever we want to call it nowadays. Oregon State <laughs> and Oregon was just a bananas game on Saturday afternoon. It was kind of a quiet window. This one looked like it was going to fall into the trap of being an Oregon blowout. Then all of a sudden, a huge comeback by the Beeps. Oregon's win probability was 98.6 after they went up pretty high. to 10 with 446 left in the third. After that, they were outscored 27 to 3 by the Beavers. And it was even more astounding that Oregon State was able to pull this off with just absolutely no passing attack to speak of. So, a couple turnovers by the Ducks, another just inexplicably awful fourth down decision by Dan Lanning sets up Oregon State's go ahead touchdown. And all of a sudden, Oregon's knocked out of the Pac 12 championship game. And uh, eventually, we'll talk about uh, the tiebreakers ended up sending Utah. So, Oregon gets knocked out. Utah's in huge thanks in huge part to this massive Oregon State comeback. Yeah, and if you really want to know what Oregon State's passing numbers looked like, try six for thirteen. Yes, that's forty six percent for sixty yards and two interceptions. I mean, those are like Spencer Petrus numbers. That's that's terrible. And so you know, it, to their credit, you really have to talk about the rush game with Damian Martinez, Jamius Griffin, and Deshaun Fenwick combining for over 200 yards, bringing them back into that game. They, they didn't give up. It's a rivalry game. They just decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and, and give it our all for that last quarter. And they did. They, they played really well. Um, there's some questionable coaching decisions to be made, sure. Um, but yeah, I just I thought I was really impressed with the way that Oregon State just stayed in it and said, yeah, we're going to commit to this. Funny thing, though. I'm looking at this, and I don't know if I'm looking at this right. There were three people catch a pass in this game for Oregon State. Nope, you're they all at it caught right. two apiece. It's what Silas Bolden, Tyjon Lindsay, and Treshawn Harrison all caught two passes, and, and somehow this team ends up winning a rivalry game. And it wasn't like a oh we won you know 15 to 12 with a really low scoring game. Now they beat this team 38 to 34. So. Uh, hats off to the Beavers, you know, really good for them to, to get this and to, you know, kind of jump over Oregon on the last day of the season. So good for them. Ben Goldbranson, the, the quarterback for the Beavers, I, I came to his defense last week, I think it was. He had been a really stabilizing force. And Oregon has a pretty solid defense. I, I don't want to put too much on the kid. He's been thrust into this starting role as a backup this year. And it's 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 been stable, but also at times you've seen why he didn't win the job. <laughs> coming out of camp right? sure and this was definitely one of the games that was why he didn't win the job but 
again, Oregon State just finds a way to win in a rivalry game, and it was a really, really fun one to watch. Well, and let's go for Gil Branson's credit. He did have seven rushing yards and two touchdowns on the ground. He was so, the goal so, line running back. He, yeah, he, he, he's the goal line back. You know, I had to go sit there and say, huh, who is their goal line back? Nope, it's just the quarterback. Yeah. And so, yeah, good for him. Also, I'm looking at this. Isaiah Newell also had two on the ground as well. So good for him. Good for that team. Uh, just pumped for them to be able to get over on top of their in-state rivals for, for this last day of the season. They both finished 9-3. and three, And so, you know, technically 9-3 and three with the tiebreaker. Good job. You're on the state. Good job, Beavers. There we go. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what they can build in Corvallis. Let's go to some pre-Saturday action. Thanksgiving night, if you were, for some reason, watching the NFL or just in a too big of a turkey coma to miss this one. Missed another really exciting Egg Bowl. Mississippi State upsets Ole Miss 24-22 to in Oxford. Maybe one of the worst calls that I've ever seen. Uh, I think by the book, it's actually the right call, what they're supposed to do, but that book sure. needs to be rewritten. Um, <laughs> if you missed it, Ole Miss is driving. They throw a backwards pass that was initially blown dead on the field and called an incomplete pass. In the ensuing action after the whistle... Mississippi State picks up the ball. They review it. They say, oh, yeah, that was a backward pass. And Mississippi State picked it up in the ensuing action. So Mississippi State ball in Hill Miss territory. And the only problem with that is Lane Kiffin definitely reminded the officials is that they blew a whistle. But that didn't matter. Mississippi State, just a crazy sequence at the end. Ole Miss drives the field, can't come up with the two-point conversion. And Mississippi State holds on to win. In a pretty scary environment, trash was being thrown on the field. Just all kinds of craziness happens, as you would expect with the Egg Bowl, right? This is just what we've come to expect with the Egg Bowl. Yeah, no, and it's one of my favorite rivalries just for that reason. It seems like both of those teams just, they show the worst of their fan base when it comes to this game. Uh, yeah, It was the correct call, and this is my little gripe with officiating that I'll just get on for just a couple seconds. If there's even a question of what a play is doing, if it's, was it maybe a backwards pass? Was it maybe a fumble? Was it maybe incomplete or fumble? Don't blow the whistle. Let the play play out and then go to the review. We don't like to hear it. Nobody likes sitting through long reviews and getting the game stopped and four-hour, five-hour games. Nobody likes that. But I'd rather them get it right than go back and have teams you know, complaining, oh, well, that really was a fumble, and so we should have been able to. I'm glad that they got the call right because it was a fumble. Obviously, if you don't blow the whistle, maybe you'll miss falls on it. But, you know, I'd rather see that and see the correct thing happen on the field. And just by the way, they did give it back. And so, you know, fumbling on the goal line, giving them back a chance to go and score there. They, they could have blown the score out a little bit more, but instead Ole Miss gets it back. And the, the I thought, extremely questionable call to go for the shovel pass for a two-point conversion. And in my opinion... Timeouts too. That's what they came after up calling too. Yeah, <laughs> and so and those two were actually fairly important when you think about you know what the rest of that game was going to look like if you didn't convert. And so I just I never get why coaches get cute for two point conversions, right? Just hit the little swing pass, hit a quick fade, run one of your high percentage throws, a play that you practice. It's super easy to go every single time. No matter what the pressure is, no matter what the situation is, you can convert that play every time. Do that. Don't get cute. Don't try a shovel pass where if your center gets, you know, blown up that, you know, your back has no chance or, you know, don't, don't try any of that stuff. I just, I never get why coaches get cute like that. You know, maybe, you know, slightly a good thing for Lane to, to, you know, stick around and Ole Miss can have him. It doesn't seem like he will be going to Auburn anymore, but 
yeah, just not a great way to end that season for them. They what started seven and zero and finish one and four to go eight and four for the season. Yeah, Jeez. not a great end for the season for Ole Miss. They might have been maybe a little excited that he would have been bolting for Auburn. Shades of Kevin Sumlin a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah, ooh, yeah, for sure. Uh, not a strong end of the season, and maybe spending a little too much time on Twitter and not enough time on the game plan. Week <laughs> not week. a fan of uh, Lane on this podcast. You're least, not so, going to yeah. find me complimenting Lane Kiffin very often. Honestly. Not very frequently, uh, nope. If you're looking for that, you can go to Twitter and find all the people that are singing his praises. But I digress. Let's talk about <laughs> two other fun in-state rivalries in the ACC very quickly. Uh, both on Friday, number 16, Florida State caps off a really nice bounce-back season with a 45-38 to 38 win over their in-state rival in the Florida Gators. And NC State, surprisingly, I think for most people, knocks off number 17, North Carolina, 30-27. to 27. North Carolina looked really dejected, like they didn't want to get up for that one. No. Um, they're dead to me personally and trying to go to bat for them. Uh, they still, I think they have a pretty solid chance to knock off Clemson next week still and maybe sneak into the Orange Bowl. But Florida State, Florida is what I really want to spend more time on because – Two big takeaways for me. This was a fun back-and-forth rivalry. Two big things for me. Anthony Richardson, best of luck in the NFL, my friend, but already declaring for the draft and I think opting out of the bowl game, I'm assuming. Not the best look when your stat line is what it is in an in-state rivalry game, and you taunted them after going up 7 to nothing. And to everybody clowning the Florida State students for rushing the field after beating 6-6 six and six Florida, just stop. Let, let them have yeah. fun, number one. And number two, those seniors, if they were a senior in the crowd, this is the first taste of real success that they've had in a long time, especially considering uh, going up against their in-state rivals. They have not been good in rivalry games. And just let those kids have fun. I know it looks silly to beat a 6-6 six and six team and rush the field, but this is college football. Let them have fun. Yeah, and at the end of the day, they're all students. They're all just trying to go and have a memory and have an experience. They'll talk about that for a while. This is why we play these games. It's a game reminder, right? I know that we love it and, and we we're here doing a podcast about it, but at the end of the day, this is still a game. Have fun with it, right? All those people who are saying, act like you've been there before you're missing the point, right? Do a dance in the end zone, right? Celebrate, get hype, you know? And if Make you're a fan, t- try not to throw stuff onto the field, but you know, you can run on the field when the game's over and, you know, maybe just see if the other coach has a timeout in his pocket so he doesn't call it on you with 15 seconds left. That's a whole Ooh, separate Brian thing. <laughs> Brian Kelly, maybe not the biggest fan of him personally either, but yeah, let, let Florida state have some fun, right? This is a big rivalry game. It's a game they care about. They've had a great season. Just give it to them. Come on. On the other hand with Anthony Richardson uh, found his season stats we're talking about uh, 53% completions, not necessarily NFL numbers there, 2,500 yards, 7.8 per attempt, and uh, 70 touchdowns to nine interceptions. Good luck to whoever decides to pick him up in the first or second round and just make your mistakes. My bet would be right now that if Detroit doesn't take Will Levis, they'll you know reach on someone like him because they're they're you know not necessarily doing the best as a as an organization right now either. But definitely not impressed with Anthony Richardson uh, going into this one. I, I was very impressed though. If you look at Florida State, Trey Benson rushing the ball twenty for one hundred eleven three touchdowns. Big game for him. Very excited to see. Uh, that from him and then just going over to North Carolina NC State for half a second not numbers that you'd necessarily want to see out of Drake May um, 233 passing for a touchdown and interception that's going to tell your story additionally you had the college kickers strike again 
and you know a, a field goal that probably UNC's kicker should have made he doesn't make and that's your story so yeah a little bit rough to see but um yeah that's that's college football for you kickers will get you yeah Drake may led an awesome touchdown drive to tie that game and send it to overtime. But again, I said, I'm not going to defend North Carolina anymore. I'm done. No. See you next year. Uh, let's go through some other quick hitters really quickly. Uh, in the power five ranks, Purdue is your shadow realm. Can we call them a champion? Do we call them a champion? I don't know. Default champions by default. Sure. They are going to be the default representative in Indianapolis, a de facto home game for the boilers. If you're looking for a narrative, <laughs> they win 30 to 16 over Indiana in their rivalry game. And that coupled with an absolutely shocking Nebraska win over Iowa, 24 to 17, a game that the Huskers did about all they could to give away at the end. They went up 24 to nothing. And then it was all Iowa from that point, and they just kind of ran out of time. But, yeah, Purdue will be your sacrificial lamb to take on the Michigan Wolverines next week. In the Big 12, I just wanted to shout this one out real quick. Texas Tech won a really fun double overtime game over Oklahoma. You won to 48. 7-5 in year one for Joey Mack is just really, really impressive to me. Just wanted to shout them out real quick. Um, I'll run through the G5 real quick because I know we're running out of time. Uh, Tulane. Knocks off Cincy 27-24. to They're going to host UCF in a rematch next week in New Orleans. The winner of that probably goes to the Cotton Bowl. UTSA stormed back to knock off UTEP. I think uh, UTEP was up 24 to nothing at one point over UTSA, and UTSA comes back. They exercise their last week of the regular season demons from last year, and they're going to host North Texas, who ended Rice's season for the Conference USA Championship. Um, Really impressive from the Roadrunners. They actually entered the AP Top 25 this week, so I don't know if they have a chance at the Cotton Bowl, but they definitely um, have a chance to go to a really solid bowl game again. Also wanted to keep shouting out uh, a few more teams in the G5. The Dukes of James Madison, they shellacked the Shanties of Coastal Carolina 47-7. Yes, they did. Coastal Carolina doesn't have Grayson McCall, and that is a huge part of what they want to do on offense. They're going with a backup quarterback that just is a backup for a reason. We'll say that. Um, but regardless, Coastal is going to represent the East and look to bring home the Sun Belt title against Troy. That game will be at Troy next week. Uh, just want to shout out the Dukes one more time. This is the last time we're going to get to see them in 2022. They've been Their FBS debut was nothing short of fantastic, and they're going to be a power in the Sun Belt for years to come. Toledo and Ohio are going to face off for the MAC title in Detroit, and of course... As was always already locked in, uh, Fresno and Boise are going to square off on the Smurf turf for the Mountain West Conference ground. Garrett, are there any of those uh, G5 conference title games that you're maybe most excited for? Give us a little preview to the preview. A little preview to the preview. I like that. No, I'm excited for the MAC title, honestly, just because of the venue, because of just the way that the MAC is, especially later in the season, getting to watch them a lot more. You're a little bit more familiar with some of these teams, getting to watch them on a Tuesday. So, um, definitely excited for that. On the flip side, Fresno and Boise might be the only thing that we actually got right in terms of conference championships from the preseason. I know, obviously, this was a crazy season, uh, and there are a lot of things we didn't anticipate, but. Man, I, we got a lot of teams right. Didn't get a lot of the matchups themselves right. But, man, we sure nailed that Mountain West Conference. So um, excited to watch it on the blue turf. It's been a little while since we've seen something like that. So definitely excited. The, the last thing I do want to say, the fact that James Madison can't do anything more 
that still just bothers me. We've been talking about it throughout the year. They should have an opportunity to do this. When you beat a good team like Coastal Carolina the way that you did, 47-7, to I mean, come on. They, they should be doing something. I'm excited for next year to see what they can put together. They should be able to recruit okay as well. I mean, I, I think they're going to have a decent case to be made in recruiting that, hey, this is our first time, and we showed that we're for real. So not sure if they're going to recruit like the Power 5 teams, but they should be all right. And so definitely excited for them. Um, also, you know, you know, UTSA doing what they're doing, excited for them as well. So just a whole lot of really cool football towards the end of the season. And, and yeah, like you were saying, going into conference championship weeks, not going to be a whole lot to watch in terms of playoff and sort of, you know, with that, there'll be a couple games that really matter. But some of these, you know, G5 games are going to be really fun to watch and are going to mean a lot for these programs getting to bigger bowl games. And so I'm excited to watch a lot of these and see where a lot of these teams end up. I'm right there with you. I think most of my attention is actually going to be on these smaller conference games next Saturday. Probably. I'm excited to see. I did want to give a few more teams just a quick shout out. They waited till the last possible minute, but they achieved bowl eligibility <laughs> by reaching the vaunted six win milestone in the last week of the regular season. Miami of Ohio beats Ball State in a battle for bowl eligibility, 18 to 17. Missouri, I think kind of surprisingly, beat Arkansas 29-27, although the Tigers have really had the Razorbacks number over mm-hmm. the last few years since they started playing that rivalry game every year. UAB defeated Louisiana Tech 37-27 to reach bowl eligibility. Southern Miss over Louisiana Monroe 20-10. Louisiana just shellacked the Bobcats of Texas State, who also fired their coach today, 41-13 to reach bowl eligibility in the uh, post-Billy Napier era. And this one was really interesting. This was actually another battle for bowl eligibility, even though App State was already 6-6. They had two wins over FCS teams. So Georgia Southern by knocking them off, kept them from going to 7-5 and five and getting an automatic bid. Uh, 51-48 was that final score in double overtime. And so now App State, even though they're 6-6, six and six, will be treated like a 5-7 and seven team. I think uh, it goes to whoever has the highest academic progress ranking to see who goes and fills those spots. But yeah, I don't think it's looking good for the Mountaineers in just a crazy up-and-down season where they knock off A&M, of course. They went on a Hail Mary with game day in town and just kind of downhill from there. A very disappointing end of the season for the Mountaineers. Um, if you're looking for just general numbers, UConn, I think, should be in. If I'm running the numbers correctly, UConn should get a bowl invite. And then one to two, five to seven, five and seven teams will get a bowl invite, depending on um, if Buffalo wins a rescheduled game this week. So, Garrett, as always, a lot of fun bowl matchups to look forward oh, yeah. to. I'll just throw this random question at you. Do you have a favorite non-New Year's Six Bowl? Ooh, man. A favorite non-New Year's Six Bowl. I think just, you know, and and it's more of the recent one, but the Duke's Mayo Bowl, just for some of the shenanigans they get into on Twitter and, you know, the whole Mayo bath and all that. Wasn't that uh, Beamer's prize last year? Yeah, There you go. So, yeah, it's... Probably for concussed them. by a tub of a giant tub of mayonnaise last <laughs> And we can hope for another, maybe, but I don't know. Maybe that was the thing that knocked into him to make him, you know, an even better coach this year. I, I don't know, maybe. But you know, I always love that one. Really, bowl season is just so much fun. I know we kind of clown about how there's so many bowl games and you know the the who cares, you know, school of the deaf and blind, and nobody will and but 
I mean, these are fun games at the end of the year, right? This is kind of our farewell to college football, and we get a bunch of games through December that we can watch and enjoy because that's kind of the last hurrah, and you get some matchups you don't necessarily see all the time, and there's a trophy, and you know, it gives some of these other teams that have had good years but maybe just not quite that good a chance to end on a high note. So definitely excited to go and watch a bunch of these. Uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl does have my eye, though. And they're always on at, like, the most weird times on a weekday. Mm-hmm. So, like, my favorite non-New Year's Six Bowl is the Popeye's Bahamas Bowl. I actually don't think Popeye's is a sponsor anymore. But the Bahamas Bowl, if you've never heard the Reddit story about the very first one, just go look that up. Go Google Popeye's Bahamas Bowl Reddit and just read and bask in that glory of what that first experience was like. And it's always on at like 10 a.m. local time on a Thursday. So <laughs> I love that. I love bowl season. There's a lot of people that are cranky about it. There's too many teams, like you said, Garrett. But look, you're going to be complaining for eight months that there's no college football on. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it when you get it on like 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, because I know I certainly will. Yeah, that would be the hometown lenders Bahamas Bowl now. So they'll just give it out to anybody. Uh, anybody but, can sponsor. Maybe we should sponsor the we Bahamas should look Bowl. Into that. Yeah, maybe we could look into one of the like, I think there's like six or seven in the greater DFW area. Maybe yeah. we could add one more. Uh, I don't think Denton gets a bowl game. So we could have well, like, you know, hey, there we go live from Apogee Stadium. It's the three tech bowl. Denton County Bowl or something. Like that. <laughs> we'll anyway. workshop it. Be be on the lookout for that announcement. We will definitely let everyone know. Uh, we will be looking for sponsors and providers of the bowl gifts because we're not going to pay for that ourselves. <laughs> but Garrett, it's going to be an interesting week. It's going to be interesting to see how these conference championship games play out. Obviously, there's a lot of pride on the line. Obviously, you want to take home that conference championship. But when it comes down to the big scheme of things, the grand scheme of things with the college football playoff, maybe not as much to play for this year. But Still should be some entertaining games. We will be here this week to break, uh, to preview all the action and break everything down. We will have a special programming note next weekend with the playoff rankings coming out that we will tell you about on our next episode. Stay tuned. Follow us on social media for all of those updates. But until then, for Garrett Turney and for Mitch Mason, who could not be here tonight, I'm Trey Reeves. We'll see you next time.